All right. Good morning, church. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Jonah chapter 4. Uh, we're going to open up uh, to Jonah this one last time as we are finishing our series uh, preaching through Jonah. Next week, we will actually uh, we will start into our Advent series. Uh, Advent actually does officially uh, begin today, four Sundays leading up to Christmas, uh, but we were a week delayed due, due to some illnesses and things like this. And so uh, next week, we'll start our Advent series, which we are calling the Advent of Wisdom. The Advent of Wisdom. Advent, you remember, means arrival. It's a time of the year that we celebrate the first arrival of Christ, as well as we anticipate and long for His second arrival. And the way that we're going to be celebrating that this year through our times of preaching and teaching will be to preach through some wisdom literature that we find in the Scripture that ultimately finds its fulfillment in Christ. When Christ put on flesh, came to earth, was born in a manger, what much of the wisdom literature was pointing us to, they were, it was pointing us to the long-expected arrival of the truly wise king. And that's what arrived when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a manger. And so we will be looking at some passages from the book of Proverbs, as well as from the life and teaching of Jesus while he was here on earth. And as we do, we will pursue wisdom together uh, during this season of Advent. And so if you've been longing for more wisdom in your life, uh, or maybe if you've been unaware of even your need for more wisdom in life, uh, either way, the next few weeks, uh, I believe, will be good for us to start the conversation and to introduce what wisdom is and how we can pursue it together in Christ. All right. So the arrival of wisdom, the advent of wisdom. Next week, we'll start by looking at Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, if you want to be reading that this week. But this morning, we are finishing up preaching through our series in Jonah, which we've been calling Runners, Rebels, and the Persistent Grace of God. As we've seen in this story of Jonah, God be persistently gracious to both sailors and the Ninevites who before this had previously not known God and had been living obvious lives of rebellion against him. But we've also been seeing God be persistently gracious and show compassion to a runner named Jonah, who even though he was a prophet of God, he too was in need of just as much grace and mercy and compassion as anyone else in the story was in need of. We've seen Jonah throughout this story run from and resist God's authority and plan every step of the way. But we've also been seeing God be gracious to him and patient with him. And Jonah here in these last few verses of the book of Jonah is going to learn a lesson about the compassion of God. And God's going to teach him about his compassion and he's going to teach us about his compassion through a very unforgettable illustration. So to start things off, let's first just define what it means to have compassion or what compassion is. And it's that word, if you're looking at the ESV, it's the word in verses uh, 10 and 11 that's used for pity, for pity. So to, to define it, to have compassion, it's a word that means to have mercy, to feel sympathy, to grieve over someone or something, to have your heart break for someone what it means to have compassion. And 
You remember what we've talked about earlier on, how, how Jonah has a heart that wants to see his enemies break. He wants to break his enemies, but God wants him to have a heart that breaks for his enemies, that has compassion for them. So to have compassion, it means to both have and show mercy. To have and show mercy. To have your heart break for someone and to do something about it. That's what it means to have compassion. There are people, there are people in the world when they see the suffering and brokenness in the world. There are people that just want to move away from it, distance themselves from the suffering and brokenness. People with compassionate hearts want to move towards it. They want to move towards the suffering or brokenness they see in the world. And so to start today, maybe let's ask the question, which one are you? Are you one that instinctively first step is away from the suffering and brokenness in the world? Or do you have a heart that wants to step towards it, to have mercy and show mercy, for your heart to break and to do something about it? Now, just to warn you from the start, there's going to be a lot of questions this morning, uh, because that's how God ends this book. It's, it's sort of a cliffhanger, right? I mean, we, we get left off thinking about the cattle, right? The beef, which is just, I think, amazing and awesome. And it's too early to start talking about food. I made the first uh, mistake of a preacher to bring up the food. But that's, that's how the Lord ends this book, right? It's about the cattle, and it's a cliffhanger. And the author is intentional in doing this because now the author is trying to turn it on to us. Right? The, the, the reading of this is so abrupt, it leaves us hanging because we are like Jonah, and now it's, okay, will we consider now these things for ourselves? The ball is now getting put into our court this morning. Will we have compassion like God has compassion? Will our hearts break for people we previously wanted to break? Will we move towards the suffering and brokenness in the world and not away from it? So these are questions that now we have to wrestle with. We are Jonah. I don't know who, I've tried to kind of make that clear as we go along, who we should be relating to in this story. We are Jonah, and now the question turns on us, will we have compassion like God has compassion? And so, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll go through these, this scripture. Father, we do need your help this morning. Uh, Lord, we all come in here um, maybe a bit tired, maybe a bit weary, uh, maybe a bit anxious, fearful, maybe in a spirit, uh, a spiritual state of just a, a desert, just feeling like it's dry and we haven't, haven't had a drink of living water in a while. So Lord, I ask that you would refresh us, that you would carry us, that you would be our good shepherd this morning, that Holy Spirit, that you would give light to these, this scripture that you would make my words clear and plain, and that, and that, Lord, your word would bear great fruit in our lives and in this church. So we ask for you to do the work that only you can do. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah 4. Look with me at verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. All right, so you'll remember Jonah here is unhappy with what he saw God do, right? The people repented, God relented, and now Jonah is angry that God has been so merciful and gracious to the Ninevites, and he leaves the city to now just go sit and watch and see what will happen. Jonah's anger and lack of compassion cause him to now become a quitter and a spectator. All right? Not only is he a runner, Jonah is now a quitter and a spectator. I mean, think about it. There would have been still a lot of work to still, still to be done in Nineveh. The, the job was not complete. Like, yes, the people had repented and cried out for mercy, but, but now the work of discipleship should have started by Jonah. He had a lot more to teach them and train them in. I mean, he could have started some Torah classes, right? Could have trained up some other preachers. Could have planted some synagogues. Could have started some schools that would have discipled the next generation of Ninevites to love and fear the Lord. But no, that's, that's not what we see Jonah do. He quits. One of the largest revivals in the history of the world takes place. But it hasn't gone according to his plans, so he's out. He quits, and he's content to be a spectator. God never said his work was done. He never said, Jonah hasn't heard the words, well done, good and faithful uh, servant, now enter my rest. No, I imagine God had much more work for Jonah to do, but Jonah quits, and he goes out of the city to just, let's just watch and see now what happens. And he builds a little shelter for himself, which is really ironic because the shelter here is, is like the, the booths or the shelters that the people of God built while wandering in the desert for 40 years. This was the same type of shelter that then God commanded them each year to build and live in during the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a feast where every year thousands upon thousands of God's people would come together for eight days and they would live in these temporary shelters as a way to celebrate and remember God's compassionate provisions to them in the past. That's what these booths or shelters were supposed to remind them of, God's compassionate provisions. But get this, not only were those shelters and booths supposed to help them look back and celebrate what God had done, but the booths and shelters were also a time for God's people to remember and to be, not, not only to remember, but to be looking forward to the future ingathering of the nations. That the nations are going to come to the Lord. That the nations will one day come to Christ. And so how ironic this is that our runner, who has now become a quitter and a spectator, makes a booth or a shelter that should be reminding him of God's compassion and care, as well as pointing him to the future ingathering of the nations, nations like Nineveh and the Assyrians, and he's content to just sit there and sulk and be angry. You see, Jonah doesn't have a heart like God's heart yet. He doesn't have compassion yet. 
He's not wanting to move toward the suffering and brokenness of the world. He's wanting to move away from it. It's much more comfortable to move away from suffering and brokenness. And he becomes a quitter and a spectator. And isn't this what we are prone to do as well? We see suffering and brokenness in the world, and it's much more comfortable to kind of slowly inch ourselves away from it. It's much more comfortable to kind of slowly inch ourselves away from the person who is hurting or suffering or the messy situation. You see, Jonah doesn't have a heart like God's heart yet. He doesn't have compassion yet. It's much easier to just move away and say, let's just just watch and see what happens. And even us as Christians, right, in this country and in this city, we can start to say to ourselves, you know, hey, Christians in America, they kind of did their job, right? They preached the gospel message here. They asked people to raise a hand, walk an aisle. They baptized some folks. But, you know, let's just become content to become quitters and spectators. Let's just seclude ourselves from the suffering and brokenness, and let's just build for us a little shelter that's comfortable out here, and let's just watch and see what happens. Or what about this? What about many times we abandon the work that God had maybe previously called us to or we had a passion about, but when things don't go exactly according to our plans, when, things, when our expectations don't exactly work out, we just want to quit and spectate and say, well, we'll just see what happens. Church, the Great Commission is a commission to go cover the world with the compassion of Christ to call them to not only come to Christ, but then to experience the life and the blessings of learning and living all the teachings of Christ and His Word. God has so much more work for us to do here in this city and in this nation and in our world, but have we become content to just quit and spectate? And let's just see what happens. Now, thankfully... There is hope for quitters and spectators because we've all been quitters and spectators at times. But there's hope for quitters and spectators because the gospel is for both rebels and runners. And really the reason that we stop covering the world with the compassion of Christ is beca- uh, and the reason that we're content to just kind of step away and just let, let's just see how this plays out instead of stepping toward the suffering and brokenness of the world is just because it's more, it's more comfortable for us to do it, right? It's a way to kind of preserve ourselves as self-preservation becomes our primary goal. But th- listen, the reason that we don't quit covering this world with the compassion of Christ is because Jesus did not quit on us. And he was not content to stay in heaven and just see what would happen. You see, Jesus is the prophet that Jonah failed to be. He did not run from the suffering and brokenness of the city. No, we see in Luke 19, as he approaches the city of Jerusalem, that as he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. 
He wept over it. We know from the life of Jesus, right, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. When he saw the suffering and brokenness in the world, he moved toward it, not away from it. And not only that, but unlike Jonah, he did not go out of the city to just make a shelter that would preserve himself. No, one day he was led out of the city to make a shelter for us as he sacrificed himself on the cross that we might be covered by the compassion of God forever. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you must move, be moving towards the suffering and brokenness in the world because that's where Jesus is going. You want to follow him, great. Do you know where he's moving to and where he's going? Will we go with him? Will we extend the compassion of Christ to others? Or will self-preservation still be our primary goal in life? We move away from suffering, right? In order to preserve our comfort, in order to preserve maybe our reputation, in order to preserve maybe our energy or our finances or what we think will make us happy or our plans and goals. And yet Christ shows us that the way to true life is not the way of self-preservation, but of self-sacrifice. Church, we have a good Father who will preserve us. But true life comes after the death of self. And so if you have died with Christ, then you have, been ris- you have risen with him to newness of life, which is what your baptism was illustrating. And if that is true of you, if you have died with Christ and been risen to newness of life, then you have been freed from primarily pres- pursuing self-preservation. You've been freed from it. And Jonah needs to learn that here if he's going to have compassion. He's so concerned about himself, he's so concerned even about his own nation, that the booth he is sitting in doesn't remind him that God is the one who has preserved his people. And God now gives him a lesson here that both he and us will never forget. So look with me at verse 6. Jonah 4, verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it, might shade, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. You'll notice first God's power and right to govern over his creation. We've seen this word appointed used repeatedly throughout Jonah, and we see it multiple times in these verses, right? God appointed a plant to grow. And get this, it grows. God appointed a worm to attack, and it attacks. God appointed a scorching east wind, and it scorches with its wind. I don't know. I wasn't thinking through how I was going to say that. (laughs) But the wind obeys, so that's the point. 
The plant that God appoints to grow, it's likely a plant that has large leaves that would grow up over Jonah's insufficient little booth and provide the shade and comfort that Jonah was looking for. And we see here that Jonah is exceedingly happy and glad because of it. Notice that this is the first time in the story Jonah is happy. God has provided a temporary comfort for him. Praise God. But Jonah does not praise God for the temporary comfort. He falls in love with the plant. And little does he know that God is teaching him something here. Because when the worm comes, and this is a very hungry worm, It gets after this plant, and the plant withers and dies, so that the next day, Jonah is no longer in the shade of a nice plant. No, he's got the sun beating down on him, and he's got the scorching east wind, and Jonah again finds himself in a position where he's despairing of life, so much so that he just wants to die. Britt and I had next-door neighbors a couple of years ago that had three large trees close to our uh, fence line. It was on the west side of our, our property, and we loved these trees. These trees were awesome because all afternoon they provided this wonderful shade to our backyard and to our patio. I mean, we, we had an umbrella out there on our table, but rarely even had to use it just because of the shade that those trees provided us. And even on the, the hottest, most humid summer day of Indiana, you would just sit back there and just feel nice and cool and refreshed. And it was awesome. We love those trees. One day we come home and the trees are gone. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't a worm. I'm pretty sure it was a tree company that chopped them down. And we were, and we were sad. Our, we shed some tears over those trees. Because now when you sit in our backyard in the summer, you feel the brunt of the sun beating down on you. I'm pretty sure there is a scorching east wind coming from somewhere. And it causes you to despair of wanting to be outside in Indiana in the middle of July. Now the questions that were in my head for those cutting down those trees were who and why. All right, first of all, on whose authority did this happen? And why did you do such a thing? And really, these are the two things that God is teaching Jonah here. The who and the why. First of all, on whose authority were the trees cut down? Well, on my neighbor's authority. I kind of forgot they were not my trees. I didn't plant them. I didn't take care of them. I most certainly did not create them. I did not own them. And so Jonah and us must first come to grips with this in what David teaches us in Psalm 24. In Psalm 24, David says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it is the Lord's. 
he has the right to give it, and he has the right to take it away. Now, it's easy to say that when we're talking about a plant and a worm. It's much more difficult to say that with things that our affections are set on. But it's still true. The Lord, this is what God God is, one of the things God's teaching Jonah here is the Lord has the right to deliver and destroy. To give and to take away. To afflict and to comfort. He has the right to appoint a plant to go, to grow, and the right to appoint a worm to come and eat the plant. Now, it's, it's a bit humbling for us as humans to remember that the earth is the Lord's. And that he has the right to do what he in his wisdom and goodness sees best to do. You see, part of the reason Jonah does not want to see his enemies delivered is because he knows that this will likely lead to more affliction for his nation and his people. And we know from history that he's correct. But God has every right to do this because the earth is the Lord's. And because of the presence of sin in our lives and in our world, God in his wisdom will at times teach us eternal truths through temporary afflictions. We need, to, we need to receive this. We need to hear this. We need to know this. We need to trust this. That because of the presence of sin in our lives and in our world, God in his wisdom and goodness will at times teach us eternal truths through temporary afflictions. And yet, even in those afflictions, we must understand the heart of God. Because God's not being mean or cruel here to Jonah. All right? This is not like uh, Sid from Toy Story, like torturing his little toys, right? And just getting them, you know, a nice sunburn or something like that. We have to know the heart of God behind this. uh, Because uh, he's not being mean or cruel here to Jonah. But, but, we, we all recognize that when we're sitting out in the sun, when we feel the brunt of the sun and the wind, we can sometimes interpret those as, as being mean and cruel. So we, we have to know the heart of God because that is not God's heart in sending us these things. In the book of Lamentations, we most likely see the prophet Jeremiah lamenting over the destruction of Jerusalem. Right? And he's, Jeremiah, he's lamenting over all that he sees happening as Jerusalem is destroyed. He sees death and starvation. He sees all these horrific things happening to his people. And he writes then lamentations. And he writes lamentations with a specific liter- literary structure so as to bring to us, the, uh, to the surface, the main point and summary of the book. The way Lamentations is written is that the first two chapters are exactly 22 verses. The last two chapters are exactly 22 verses. But in the middle, chapter 3 has 66 verses. All right, It's a very symmetric book because right in the middle, he puts the main point. The main thing that we should be taking away from all this lamenting and all this affliction that we see God bring. And so we, we see it in Lamentations 3, 31 through 33. And he writes, For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, 
he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Verse 33, here it is. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. He does not afflict from his heart. Though he cause grief, he will have compassion, but he does not afflict from his heart. You see, God is disciplining Jerusalem at this time, but he doesn't afflict from his heart, meaning this isn't his deepest desire. He doesn't take pleasure in this. And I can start to understand this a little bit by just knowing how I feel when I discipline my boys. I would much rather be doing something else. I don't take pleasure in it. And yet I know because of the presence of sin in their hearts and in our world that in my limited wisdom and goodness, I even know that I sometimes have to teach eternal truths through temporary afflictions. Our Heavenly Father does not delight in our affliction, and He will not cast off forever, but He will have compassion according to the abundance of His steadfast love. God knows in his wisdom and his goodness that teaching and instructing us in a world where the presence of sin still remains, there will be times where he must use temporary afflictions to teach us eternal truths. But he does not afflict from his heart. The earth is the Lord's. He gives and he takes away. We know he is both wise and good, and therefore we can still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. So that's the who behind this, right? God has a right to deliver and to send a worm to afflict. But what else is God teaching Jonah here? What else was I wondering, wanting to know about those trees that were cut down next to me? I wanted to know why. Right? So the who has been answered. God appointed all this to happen. God has the right to give and take away. But now the question is why? Why do this whole plant and worm thing? Look at verse 9. We see Jonah's anger and lack of compassion for the Ninevites. It's been exposed now. And God comes at him with a question in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? We see here God is teaching Jonah and us something about his compassion. Of having mercy and showing mercy. You see, Jonah pitied or had compassion for the plant. God is having compassion for the people. You see, Jonah's value system is all out of whack. He values a plant that provides him some temporary comforts more than he values the people. 
Now, now God is mindful of plants, all right? So I don't, uh, it's not as if God is just neglectful of plants. I think he's very compassionate towards all of his creation. He obviously here is mindful of the livestock in Nineveh, right? Uh, But God values people more than anything else in creation. People are always more important than plants. People more than plants. And the same is true with a lot of things. People are always more important than the things that provide us temporary comfort. People are always more important than possessions. People are always more important than our plans. One of the things we've tried to be mindful and, and kind of uh, mindful of and do as, as this church has formed these last few years, the leadership has always been committed to seeing our people as being more important than our programs. People more than programs. You see, sometimes you can get into your plans and all that you're going to do and your programs that you have that are going to be, you know, do all these great things for the Lord. And then you could take people and use them to prop up your programs. And I think what we learn here and what I think is a truth all throughout Scripture is, no, people are always more important. Compassion and pity and mercy and should always be shown more towards the people. If we're going to have some programs and ministries here, they have to be used to serve our people, not the other way around. Which is why we always try to be mindful to not have people over-serving in areas that leads, that, that, you know, takes them out of the worship gathering more than once a month or anything like that. It's because we value people more than our programs. This is why sometimes church life here might seem way more simple and less activity than other places you've gone. It's because when we get to the point where it feels like we're burning out volunteers or we're using people too much, if we get to the point where it feels like people are serving our ministries as opposed to our ministry serving our people, then we're just not going to do them. For the sake of our people. In God's value system, people are more important than programs. I was uh, sort of venting to some people, and I think Pastor Kevin was there too, uh, talking about I was frustrated with how uh, city groups had gone this, this fall because so much illness and for us some travel and things like that just made it very, it was inconsistent. We never really felt like we were gathering consistently and had a good rhythm with our people. And, um, and, it, and we're going to take a break in the month of December from city groups, start back in January. But it just felt like we didn't really get to what I was wanting us to get to. And Pastor Kevin lovingly and graciously reminded me I think they have gone well because it's about the people. And I think what we saw in city groups, especially as some people were getting sick and having needs, was that for those that were in a city group, the city group just mobilized very quickly. They were cared for. They met one another's needs. And so I think you could look back on city groups and say they did not go according to our plans this fall, but they went according to God's plans. And I think our people were served through our city groups. 
And really, that's one of the main things that we're trying to teach you and disciple you through being a part of a city group. We know this is not a a perfect uh, program or plan. I know many churches have small group ministries and things like this. We primarily want you to be around other people who are different from you. We think, we think you'll naturally hang out with people that are the same as you. We want you to be around people that are different from you, so that, that you can, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, that you can learn to love them, that you can learn to serve them, that you can learn to show compassion to them and to forgive them and be patient with them and bear with them when they annoy you and work through some things with, with them. Right? We're going we're gonna to always be tinkering with and doing different things in our city group. But, but the main point is to get you around the body of Christ and for you to learn to love them like Jesus loves them and to show, show compassion like Jesus shows compassion. It's to push you out of your comfortable little booth and shelter you've made for yourself out here. And it's to push you into seeing some of the suffering and brokenness that even exists here in our church body that usually comes to the surface in our city groups. It's to encourage you to not primarily live for self-preservation, but to sacrifice yourself and to sacrifice your time and your energy and your preferences to come and not say, what can I get from this, but what can I give up for these people? What can I lay down for these people? Can you show compassion to them? Can you start moving toward the suffering and brokenness in our church? A lot of the suffering and brokenness is not known in our Sunday morning gatherings. Nor should it, I mean, it just practically, it maybe isn't always going to be able to be the case. But it comes up in our city groups. And our people are there to surround one another and pray with one another and care for one another. And this is part of our discipleship, not only growing in what we know, but our hearts and our hands becoming more like Christ. Jonah needs to learn that people are more important than plants. And we need to learn this too. People are more important than possessions. God has taught all the city group hosts this, this last year. People are more important than possessions. God here is showing compassion to runners and rebels. He's patiently teaching a runner while extending compassion to rebels. Rebels who uh, this verse describes, uh, God describes them as not knowing their right hand from their left. Now what does that mean? Well, simply put, it means God is saying they are spiritually blind. They're spiritually blind. Now, that doesn't excuse their sin. Uh, we know that this, their wickedness had come up before the Lord, and He rightfully was going to bring destruction on them. But nonetheless, they are spiritually blind. Now, think with me. Shouldn't their spiritual blindness do something to Jonah's angry heart? Like, what if an actual blind person bumped into you and spilled hot coffee on you? Would you respond with anger and make them pay for what they had done? I, I hope not. I mean, I got, we got a yes over here, but I, I hope not. <laughs> sorry, there's not many people sitting here. I, I'm sorry. I hope not, right? 
Or how about this? Would you sarcastically make fun of an actual blind person who stumbles along the sidewalk trying to get where they're going? Just be like, can you believe this person? I hope not. I don't think you would. But don't we do this with those who are spiritually blind? Don't we at times care more about our temporary comforts being taken away than we do our people's spiritual blindness being taken away? Don't we grow angry and resentful towards people who we should actually be having compassion for? You see, Jonah cares more about the plant than the people because he's forgotten the purpose of being a part of the people of God. God did not set his affection on the nation of Israel to only show compassion on them, just as God has not set his affection on his church to only show compassion to them. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 42, verse 6, God speaks and he says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Church, the people of God in Christ. The people of God in Christ. We see this fulfillment in Christ here. But the people of God, now that we are in Christ, we are to be a light for the nations. You are to go in Christ and open the eyes of the blind. You are to go in Christ and set free the captives from the prison who are sitting in darkness. They can't see their right hand from their left because they're spiritually blind and we're angry about it. We're angry about it instead of having the compassion of God towards them. Church, God has not blessed us and been compassionate with us. So we can just keep all these blessings to ourselves and be angry with anyone who would threaten those. No, as the church, we are to be the light for the nations, including this one. Not to be angry with those who are blind, but to show them compassion and help lead them out of darkness. When those trees came down next to our house, like I said, Britt and I, we both shed some tears over those trees and the shade that we lost. And I one day asked, asked them why they, they came down, asked the, the neighbors, you know, hey, what? what's up with that, you know? And they were an older couple, and they said they were having a hard time keeping up with the leaves. You see, I was caught up in enjoying the temporary comfort of the shade, all the while blind to the needs of the people. I was content to sit back at a distance and enjoy the blessings of the plant, but had not considered the needs of the people. You see, we, like Jonah, many times weep for plants, but not for people. We weep for the loss of temporary comforts, but not for people. We weep for possessions, but not for people. We weep over the loss of political power and influence, but not for people. 
We weep that God might be pushing us towards suffering and brokenness because we'd rather stay away from it altogether. And yet, church, if we are to follow Jesus, who is the one who revealed and extended the compassion of God to this world, then we must move toward the suffering and brokenness we see in the world. We must not be content to be quitters and spectators. We must have more compassion for people than any other thing in our lives. And so here we are at the end of Jonah, and the story does leave us hanging. Now, I, I suspect that, that Jonah did have a change of heart at some point. And many, uh, many people think this is the case because we actually have the story of Jonah. Jonah has gotten to the point where he can give his first-hand account and be okay us all laughing at him and being just shaking our heads at him. So I do think Jonah comes around, but we, we don't know that for, for certain. Uh, the story leaves us hanging because now it's being turned on to us. Will we, who have been covered by the compassion of God through the personal work of Jesus Christ, will we be compassionate now with others? Will we move towards suffering and not away from it? Will we live lives primarily not of self-preservation, but of self-sacrifice? And so really, I, I, do want you, I don't want you to leave here this morning until you can answer this question. And we'll spend some time in prayer. You can ask the Lord to help you. But the question will be, what is one way that you can show the compassion of Christ to someone this week? This week. One way. It can be simple. It can start small. Maybe it's, maybe it's simply praying for someone that when you see on the TV just makes you so angry. Maybe you start by praying for that person. Maybe it's forgiving someone who does not deserve to be forgiven. Maybe it's meeting someone's physical or financial needs. Maybe there's a temporary comfort you can give up for the sake of showing compassion and meeting someone's need right now, this week. We'll ask the Lord to give us some ideas and promptings from the Spirit. But how can you show compassion to someone this week? How can you love people more than plants this week? Church, many of us have the heart of Jonah many times. But God is persistently gracious to us. And he's patient with us. And he's compassionate with us. And he does not allow us to run to where we in our sin want to get. He's been gracious to us to send storms to wake us up. Great fish to swallow us up. Hungry worms to train us up. And ultimately he sent his son to raise us up. And may our hearts break for those we once wanted to break. May we move towards suffering and not away from it. And may we enjoy and extend more and more of the compassion of Christ over our city and over our world. 
So let's pray and let's ask that the Lord would do these things.